Chapter 11 Where Point of Contact Is and Is Not Found Coming to the question of common ground with the unbeliever, we have first considered the God whom we represent. Since God is the creator of all things, since he sovereignly controls every event, and since he clearly reveals himself in every fact of the created order, it is utterly impossible that there should be any neutral ground, any territory or facet of reality where man is not confronted with the claims of God, any area of knowledge where the theological issue is inconsequential. Yet this perspective guarantees that there is common ground between the believer and the unbeliever, common ground of a metaphysical nature. The whole world, the created realm and public history, constitute commonality between the Christian and the non-Christian. But this common ground is not neutral ground, it is God's ground. There is nowhere to stand in the world, even the world of thought, that is not God's territory. In addition to considering the God whom we represent, we must take cognizance of the person to whom we speak. In particular, we must recognize the noetic effects of sin. The fall of man had drastic results in the world of thought. Even the use of man's reasoning ability becomes depraved and frustrating. The whole creation was made subject to vanity, Romans chapter 8 verse 20, thus bringing confusion, inefficiency, and skeptical despair into the epistemic realm. Even more, Moral corruption overcame man's thoughts, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, so that the evil use of man's mind became exhaustive, continual, and inescapable. Man unrighteously suppresses the truth in order to embrace the lie, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 25. In its pseudo-wisdom, the world refuses to know God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, for Satan has blinded the minds of men. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 Man uses his reason not to glorify God and advance his kingdom but to rise up in arrogant opposition to the knowledge of God 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 When we say that sin is ethical we do not mean however that sin involved only the will of man and not also his intellect Sin involved every aspect of man's personality all of man's reactions in every relation in which God has set him were ethical and not merely intellectual. The intellectual itself is ethical. Cornelius Van Til, The Defense of Faith In his Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin very pointedly remarked that philosophers need to see that man is corrupt in every aspect of his being, that the fall pertains to man's mental operations as much as his volition and emotions. Of course, this points up why we cannot aim to find common ground in the unbeliever's interpretation or self-conscious understanding of things, whether they be the laws of logic, the facts of history, or the experiences of human personality. The non-Christian seeks to suppress the truth, to distort it into a naturalistic scheme, to preclude the interpretation of the God who makes things and events what they are, determining the end from the beginning. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10. The Christian scholar cannot find anything beyond formal agreement. He cannot locate a genuinely common understanding in the unbeliever's words and opinions. Specifically, and very much at the heart of disagreements with unbelieving scholars or thinkers, we should see that the unbeliever has an incorrect diagnosis of his situation and of his own person. The non-Christian thinks that his thinking process is normal. 
he thinks that his mind is the final court of appeal in all matters of knowledge. He takes himself to be the reference point for all interpretation of the facts. That is, he has epistemologically become a law unto himself, autonomous. Consequently, the depravity and alleged autonomy of man's thinking prevent the regenerate Christian from seeking common ground in the unbeliever's self-conscious and admitted outlook on anything. Rather than agreeing with the sinner's conception, ordering, or evaluation of his experience, the Christian seeks his repentance, repentance in the world of thought. Our approach should be that of Isaiah chapter 55 verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. A dying patient may require surgery, and yet dread it, thereby self-deluding himself into thinking that his condition only calls for a band-aid. A doctor who accepted his patient's conception of himself and his condition would not only be a quack, he would show absolutely no concern for the patient's true health and recovery. So also, the Christian scholar who genuinely desires the spiritual reclamation of the unregenerate thinker must not allow the unbeliever to diagnose his own condition and thoughts and then prescribe an insufficient cure. The unregenerate thinker does not merely need a band-aid of additional information. He needs the major internal surgery of regeneration. He needs to forsake his thoughts and be renewed in knowledge after the image of his Creator. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. However, in denying common ground in the area of the non-Christian's autonomous interpretation of experience, the presuppositionalist does not teach that he has no point of contact with the unbeliever. The fact that the unbeliever is wrong in his self-conscious interpretive efforts does not mean that he and the Christian are epistemologically speaking, like ships passing in the dark. For there is something of great significance in common between the believer and unbeliever. They are both, irrespective of their saved and lost conditions, both the creaturely image of God. While the unregenerate needs to be renewed with respect to it, the image of God remains his. Man cannot cease being man, and to be man is to be God's image. Man is the finite replica of God, being like him in every respect that is appropriate for the creature to resemble his creator. Hereby, no man can escape the face of God, for God's image is carried along with man wherever he goes, even into Hades. Therefore, the believer can find point of contact in his discussion with unbelievers deep down inside them. Creation establishes forever that no man is beyond the touch of God's revelation. Men have been created with the capacity to understand and recognize their Maker's voice. Van Til says that we are assured of a point of contact in the fact that every man is made in the image of God and has impressed upon him the law of God. In that fact alone, we may rest secure with the respect to the point of contact problem. For that fact makes men always accessible to God. Only by thus finding the point of contact in man's sense of deity that lies underneath his own conception of self-consciousness as ultimate can we be both true to scripture and effective in reasoning with the natural man. Pages 111 and 112. We have seen, then, thus far that presuppositionalism takes seriously doctrines of creation, God's sovereignty, natural revelation, man's creation as God's image, and total depravity. 
Presuppositionalism holds that there is very definitely a realm of common ground between believers and unbelievers, ground which is metaphysical in nature, but that common ground is not neutral ground. Moreover, that ground is not found in the natural man's autonomous conception and interpretation of his experience or the facts of the world. The Christian does not have a point of contact there, but rather in the actual condition of man as the image of God. Hence, it is clear that the third criticism of presuppositionalism, which is rehearsed in an earlier part of this series, is thoroughly groundless. Far from isolating men in mutually inaccessible towers of thought, presuppositionalism secures both common ground and point of contact between Christian and non-Christian. It is all a matter of finding them in the right place.